Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. We're looking at one aspect of the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's just one verse, and it goes on to list the other elements of the armor. Today we're going to look at the idea of having your, your waist uh, girded with truth. Now, I'd just like to start by saying that it continues, it always baffles me. Actually, it, it amazes me that you know, it has the few years that I've been a part of the church that, it, that the many people that I've seen and I've heard, it seems like people want to soften the message. Of, they want to just sort of sort of gloss over or sort of sand the, the rough edges down of the truth, the gospel. You know, we, talk, we look at what Paul tells the Jews that they deem themselves unworthy of eternal life. When we look, we'll look at some other examples uh, in Acts chapter 18 as well of uh, some very uh, some very harsh things going on, and that they that the Jews become very upset a, about the truth that has been spoken to them. And uh, we look at some of those things, and there is when we talk about the truth, there is a lot of negativity in uh, with associated with the truth and associated with the gospel. And some of those things hurt, but we have to realize that we cannot soften that message, even though it may hurt somebody's feelings. It may you know, ruin friendships, we cannot gloss over those rough edges. So we have to under we have to understand that we we got to have the truth and we got to be willing to speak it. Now when we talk about Ephesians chapter six and verse fourteen, we're talking about being having girded your waist with truth, talking about this idea of a belt being around your waist. Now I think about you think about a soldier during that time, if he has his belt, he had his belt, you know, of course he'd keep his clothes together. And it also, it can make carry his sword with him. Think about in later times, we talk about the side of a soldier may carry his ammunition, his gunpowder with him. And so when we think about the side of having girded your waist for truth, we see that truth, like a soldier's belt, it is, a, it is essential for the Christian. It's really the a foundation for uh, the Christian. If, without truth, there's really no reason for us to even be here today. And also... Uh, we got to we got to have the truth, but the truth must also have a hold of us. Think about keeping our clothes together. We, you know, we got to have something. Uh, we got to have that truth to have a hold of us as well. Now we think about we think about the idea of the truth, and we see uh, in, in 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 throughout our world uh, and, and those in the world, we see that many people. Uh, can we all can observe truth in some aspects? We look at Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse eleven. It says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end." Now, what is he saying? He says he has put eternity in their hearts. People in this world have a fascination with the afterlife, with these spiritual things, with this idea of an eternity uh, after uh, we die. We think about uh, religion, pagan religion, idolatry, talking about the, the many uh, holy days that we have, talking about the fascination of spiritual things. You turn on the TV and we see all these TV shows about these ghost hunters. They're searching for ghosts. We got uh, people uh, speaking to the dead, supposedly, on, on TV. Uh, we see that people have this fascination with spiritual things. The people are always trying to get in touch with the dead or whatnot, but... Uh, we see that, but it says it's said that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. They people can come up with schemes, devices, try to uh, 
gain the insight into eternity or whatnot, but they cannot uh, do so by their own means. We look also in Isaiah chapter 44, speaking of this idea of idolatry, in verse 14, uh, speaking of this idolatry, he says, He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and he bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a God and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, I am warm. Warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes it to a God, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it and prays to it and says, Deliver me for you or my God. Now you look at this and you say, This is crazy. This is really foolish that this guy's going to have this tree and he, he's going to use some of it for to cook a roast and the next part the other part he's going to make a carved image he's going to make an idol for it. now but when we look at that uh, this fella for some uh in t- for some reason he intuitively knows that he he needs to worship something there's some god there's some a god that is bigger than him that he feels the need to uh, worship but the way that he's doing so is <laughs> foolish that he's making something something that has been created he makes it in a form of a god to worship now we look at Romans chapter 1, a sort of a speaks of this idea. And it says, For since the creation of the world, his inv- invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his uh, eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He talks about every, all of us. When we see the creation. It says, The creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, that we, through creation, can understand that there is a creator. Creation demands a creator. But it says in verse 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thank, thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. And it, and it speaks later on about the, the vain philosophies that men come up with. Now you think about this idea that they see, they, see, they see the creation, they understand that there is a creator, they see His invisible attributes, but they said they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. They become futile in their thoughts that they understand that there is a creator, but they don't glorify him as such. They become sort of like this guy who just makes this image that's just silly. But and it says they glorify him as God, not as God. But they were, but they became futile in their thoughts. So we see this, we see this idea of this observation of of truth. We see also in Romans one uh, a little bit of this observation, but we see also a rejection of truth as, as well. And so. We look at, not only do we see in Romans 1 this uh, rejection of truth, even, even seeing him uh, uh, through the creation, rejecting even, even after that rejecting him, we also see that even if you uh, follow the Lord, we see also an example of rejection of truth in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. It says, Therefore the king, this is Jeroboam, asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and the other he put up in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places, and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Now these are people that are uh, supposedly following God. Then Jeroboam comes up and says, you know what, it's, you're, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but guess what, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It's, you know, that's, that's a long ways away. And he says, here are your gods. 
who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So he makes these he makes these two calves. Says these are your gods, which you're going to serve. And he says, he's, and he sits sets ones up in Bethel, and the other he puts in Dan. Why? And he, and apparently these people follow him. You know, they they hear that and say, you know, guess what? That 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 that, that does sound good. It is a long ways from Jerusalem. Let's just serve these idols. Now it says, now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places. They made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. So this is this, a total rejection of truth. They uh, explicitly disobeyed God in making idols. And then they made priests uh, for these shrines that were not the sons of Levi. So this is just this total rejection of truth going on. And people just are, are okay with it. Kind of fascinating. Now, Look at Second Thessalonians in chapter two and verse ten as well. Continuing this idea of rejection of truth, it says, uh, uh, "It says it's in the middle of thought." But it says, "And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved." And now, we think about that that there are that there are going to be people that are deceived, and why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. So they were deceived. Now you think about how, how can somebody can be deceived? Somebody that knows God, knows, knows the truth, and they can be deceived. How does that happen? Well, we see that they do not receive the love of the truth, but also we see this example in 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 18, it says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And when we're talking about this idea of receiving the love of the truth, you know, we also can just, just love ourselves, love our own desires more than we do the truth. That we think about, we think about the side of speak great swelling words of, of, of emptiness. Think about Jeroboam. It's too much, you know, luring through the lust of flesh. It's too much to go up to Jerusalem. You know, that sounds good. I don't, that is a long walk from here. And they, and they can actually uh, deceive those who know the truth, the ones who've actually escaped from those who live in there. Now we think about this in the context of the New Testament as well, that we can be deceived as well. We can uh, reject uh, the truth and we can have our ears tickled. We can hear those things that we really uh, like, like to hear and we can be deceived because of those things. So when we, when we look at the idea of truth, we've seen this idea of observation of truth. We, think, we look at uh, I, uh, these examples of rejection of truth we under we have to understand that god is a god of truth there is no speculation about some of the things there is no gray areas when it comes to his commandments or to, or, uh, to his law look in deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 it says he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of truth and without injustice righteous and upright is he, he said his work is perfect all his ways are just, all his ways. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalms 33 verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. Psalms 119 verses 142 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. And in verse 151 it says, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. And we sort of looked at Saul uh, this morning, and you kind of think about what he did, and we may look look at that and say, "Well, that's not just that big of a deal." But we have to understand that God commanded that. That is, and when He commands that, what is that? That's truth. 
That's law. It has to be followed. We don't have a say in that. We cannot speculate on that anymore, that it has to be done as he has spoken. And so we look at uh, God's law of truth, his commandments are truth, his word is truth, and we ask, what can the truth do for me? What can it do for me? We look at John chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the truth can sanctify us. It says, and for, the, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is Jesus speaking. If you're wondering what the truth is, we can just read a couple more verses up from that, and it says that, that his word, that God's word is truth, and we can be sanctified by that word, by that truth. We can be made holy through that truth. Also in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief and the truth. So we look at this verse and we ask ourselves, How am I saved? How do I, how do I get saved? All right, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, I have to I have to believe in that truth. I have to believe in the gospel. I have to believe in the word that God has given that has given us. If I have any hope to be saved, I can't be looking through uh, philosophical books. I can't be I can't receive some greater insight or learning from catechisms or creeds or anything like that. It's simply solely uh, through belief in the truth, belief in God's word. And we look at, we look at. Uh, I give this example of, of one of David's mighty men. And this is, we, there's several other examples up up above this. You can read this on your own time, Second uh, Samuel chapter 23. But this guy was specifically mentioned, and you you kind of kind of see what he what he's done. And this is this is kind of lightweight to what some of the other mighty men have done. This is really kind of like, you know, this is child's play to some of the other mighty men. And so I just put this one up to sort of. Uh, have a comparison. It says, Benai was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzil, who has done many deeds. He has killed two lion-like heroes of Moab, and he has also gone down and killed a, a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. So he kills two lion-like heroes of Moab, kills a lion in the midst of a pit. Not only does he kill in a, in a pit, or kills a lion in a pit, he kills it on a snowy day, just to make things that much worse. Now, this is, now we see... Another man who killed, I believe it was 300 men by himself, and another one that had killed 800 men. So this is kind of, um, this, is, this dude's pretty bad, but com- relatively speaking, this is kind of the uh, least of all the things that have been done for, to, uh, according that, that has been written about uh, David's mighty men. Now we think about that. Who wants to be that guy? I want to be that guy. You know, that's, that's pretty cool right there. That, he's, pretty, he's a pretty manly man right there. But we think about that. <laughs> These men were able to do those great things. And we think about that today. Well, how does that, you know, they can do great things. I just can't do that. I'm not that, I'm not that great. But we think about some examples in the New Testament of some of these men that have stood for the truth and the great things that they had accomplished. And we look at uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and though from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
Now, this is one guy, Stephen. We read later on that when uh, the Jews killed Stephen, that Paul was consenting to his death. He did not like Stephen. And then we have those Jews from the synagogue, the free men, disputing with him. You know, all these Jews in synagogues, sure, they're, sure they, they're, they know uh, the, the, the scriptures pretty well, but they couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't deal with him. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They could not, they could not uh, counter him. His, his, his word was his spoken with wisdom and with was, was such wisdom that they were not able to resist him, just his words, simply because he, he knew the truth. We look at Acts chapter 18, verse 13 through 15. Uh, this, is, this is speaking of Paul. It's just saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Well, the thing about it is, Gallio tells them to look to it themselves if it's a question of words and names and your own law, but they, they've, they've already done it. They, can't, they just can't contend with Paul and what he is speaking. So what did they do? They called the cops on him. They say, they say and, and Gallio says, if it, this is not a matter of wrongdoing. It's a matter of your own law. Look to it yourselves, but they can't do that. And, of course, when they can't do that, they... They get mad and look for other means to shut him up. Now we think about David's mighty men. We think about the things that they've done. We got this one guy, Paul. We got Stephen, and everybody, and 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 nobody can resist him. Nobody can contend with him just because they're speaking the truth, just because of the words that come from their mouth. We look at Acts chapter 18, verse 26 through 28 as well. It says, "So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue." When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, this is speaking of Apollos, it says, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is, this is Apollos. He's an heir. Priscilla and Aquila uh, correct him. But then he immediately says he vigorously refused the Jews publicly, shown from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is what he's doing. He's speaking the truth. He's speaking the word of God to them, and he's refuting the Jews, refuting uh, their what, what they believe. So again, we we think about this idea: what can the truth do for you? And you you know, you think about these people, and you're like, man, I want to be one of those. Well, the truth. I mean, the truth. You can. When you got the truth, nobody can stand against you. It does, folks can come from, you know, we've got all these different denominations. They come speak to you. If you got the truth, they can't stand against you. That's just a fact of the matter. And also, we think about, the, or at the very beginning of the lesson, we talk about the idea that we have to have truth, but the truth must also have all of us. We've got to have something in us to where we uh, want the truth, and the truth is going to control us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So if you have heard him, if you know the truth, you have to put off that old man. You have to put off that conduct, former conduct. You have to put off those sinful ways. 
and put off that old man. You have to live, start living according to the truth, which is in Jesus. Look at Second Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them examples to those who afterward will live ungodly. Uh, Peter, speaking of these that have sinned, we look at the angels. He, God did not spare the angels who sinned, did not spare the ancient world. Everybody died who were ungodly except for Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. So you have this contrast between a preacher of righteousness and those that are ungodly. What happens to the, righteous, to the righteous people and what happens to the ungodly people? It's not going to work out for the ungodly people. In verse 6 it says, He turns the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to the destruction, making them an example to those who afterward will live ungodly. Now this is, Peter's writing to Christians here, Second Peter chapter 2. If you read, keep on reading, we just looked at verse 18. He's talking about, he's talking to the Christian. He says, look, you've got to continue in the truth. He's make, and he's making this point here that you have to live godly. You have to live righteously. And he's giving this example of the ungodly world during Noah's time. We look at Solomon, Gomorrah, what happens to them? There's no, there's no partiality here. If you want to live ungodly, well, you're going to expect a condemnation just like those during Noah's time and those that are living in Solomon and Gomorrah. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 21 says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. Now, we think we, we, we look at this, and I've always, I've always looked at this verse, and it, it's, always, it's always on my mind. It says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. Do we, do we actually do that? Test all things. You know, you, you, you kind of get to where if you, you start thinking about everything that you're doing. You think about what we're doing right here, is that is that all right? Do, are we testing those things? Are we looking at the Word to see whether we are right or we are, or we are following the truth? And he says, hold fast what is good. Now, how do we know what is good? How do we, how do we know? Is it, is, it, is it good just because I think it's good? Well, that's what many people do. But we, we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the Scriptures furnish us thoroughly, uh, fur, uh, equips us thoroughly for all good works. If we if we want to know something is a good work, if we want to know something is good, you got to find the word. If it's in the scriptures, then we, and it's approved of in the scriptures, we know that that is good, and we should continue to follow in that. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse fifteen says, "Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle." Now we understand that the apostles were, were speaking that they had received a revelation through the Holy Spirit that they were speaking a truth. And Paul says, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Continue in uh, these things. Continue to hold fast to those things which are good. And, it, and so we see the importance of following that truth just like what we've seen uh, with Saul earlier, earlier today. We may think a little change of the tradition, a little, 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 little adjustment to what's going on is not that big of a deal, but we have to understand that these things are the commandments of the Lord. And if they're commandments of the Lord, they're truth, they're law, they're those things that we have to follow. 
Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So they, uh, the Thessalonians, they received the word, and he says that the word is effectively working in you who believe. And then he says, For you, brethren, become imi- became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So they receive the word, it works in them, they become imitators of the churches of God, they continue uh, to, to hold those things, hold fast those traditions that have been taught by Paul and the apostles. Remember Paul speaking that he, in 1 Corinthians, he's saying that he speaks the same things in all the churches. So if they're becoming imitators of the churches of God, they're holding fast those traditions, they're continuing and doing those things, the same things that Paul and the apostles are speaking. And so again, they receive the word, it works in them, and they become imitators of the churches of God. So they, they molded, their, molded themselves to that word. They changed their lives to, and, and to become, uh, more, uh, to become uh, imitators of the churches, to become imitators of the word. So that's the, that's the end of my lesson. I hope you learned something from it. We see that, uh, we see that, you know, we look at this observation of truth throughout creation. We see that even though we can have this ample supply of evidence of a creator, sometimes we reject that. But we also see the examples that the truth can have a great benefit to us. That it can, that it can, that it can sanctify us. And also we can, we can spread the word to others and that nobody can stand against us if we have that truth. But the truth also must have a hold of us. We have to live according to that truth as well. So, we look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. It says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So this is, uh, we see this, we see this uh, scripture. And of all the things that we have, you know, we're buying and selling every day. But it says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. That is the most important thing that you can ever obtain. That if you have that truth, you've got everything that you need. And it says, do not sell it, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So we have that truth. We have wisdom, instruction, understanding. That's, that's what we need. We, that, that we have everything that we need uh, to uh, be right with God if we have those things. So if you're with us today and you've fallen away from, either fallen away from the truth or never even been a part of the truth, if you've never been a Christian, uh, we also we offer this invitation now that you can uh, 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 believe in the truth that you repent of your sins and you also are willing to be baptized for the remission of sins, and also if you have uh, de- departed from the truth, if you need the prayers of the saints, if you need uh, to say anything publicly, uh, we offer this invitation now as we stand and as we sing. Will you come? <laughs>